want to invite everyone to open their Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Today brings us to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 to 25. I'm sure you all have seen in the news or on the internet uh, the story of Gabby Petito by now. Uh, it's sad and horrifying and, and outrageous all at the same time and if you haven't heard the details, it goes something like this. Gabby, 22-year-old girl, went on a long road trip to visit national parks with her fiancé, Brian. Uh, all the way from Florida to, uh, to the national parks in the West, they left on uh, July the 2nd for a four-month trip. But only two months later, on September the 1st, Brian comes back and he doesn't have Gabby with him. Obviously, that should raise questions, but it wasn't until 10 days later that her family reports her missing. And then about a week after that, they found human remains in one of the national parks that are now confirmed to be uh, what is left of Gabby. And it really is, it's a, tra- it, it's a tragedy. It really is. But one thing about this couple that stood out to me was that they documented their entire life on Instagram. Everything on the surface seemed so wonderful and perfect, which made this whole ordeal so sensational. How could this good-looking and loving couple end up like this? Looks like Brian might be guilty of homicide, but you, you wonder, how could this couple that goes on all these wonderful adventures, that has this exciting life, that's doing everything they want, how could it end up like this? Well, not everything was as it appeared. There were things beneath the surface that the rest of the world just couldn't see. You know what I mean. Social media only gives us the best moments of people's lives. Without knowing their failures and their messes. And there's a lot more that's happening beneath the surface. And in Gabby and Brian's case, there was abuse and turmoil that we just couldn't see. And so that's the, the question or the theme that I want to probe today. Is what's beneath the surface? What's beneath the surface of your Sunday morning best? What's under the surface of your social media? Most importantly, I want to ask, what's beneath your holiness? What's beneath your good behavior? Or what's beneath your obedience to the rules? I want to ask this because holiness isn't so much about behavior as it is source. Yes, holiness has everything to do with behavior, but it's not all about behavior. And the reason this is true is because you can live your whole life and never do anything bad, even living a good Christian life, and still be lost. So what I want to ask today is, what is the source of your holiness? What is the source of your behavior? What's underneath it? Because what's below the surface of this question is the difference for all eternity. 
And it's an important question to ask. So in our passage today, I want us to look at three sources of Christian holiness. All right? Let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as, on, call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. I don't know about you, but uh, for those of you who are married or engaged, think about engagement, being engaged is kind of weird, right? You go from uh, the status, you go through a status change from basically being a single, for being single your whole life to now being pledged to be married. And Part of that status change is like as a guy, your bank account goes from what little you had to zero because you bought the engagement ring, right? You spend what you have on it. I tell Mal many times that I'm sorry if she married for money because, well, she's just out of luck. But, but being engaged is also weird because it changes your, your expectations too. The, the now set prospect of your wedding day totally changes your disposition. That's kind of what Peter is, is saying here. And this leads us to our first source of holiness because our holiness is a holiness of expectation. A holiness of expectation. Peter starts this passage with the word therefore. Arguably one of the most important words in Scripture. As my old pastor used to say, if you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. I tried to put his like Mississippi twang on it a little bit. I, I've lost mine some. And we, when we were in last, last in First Peter a few weeks ago, we saw the awesome privilege of what it means to be basically saved. What it means to be a part of the body of Christ. So we're raised into an unshakable hope. Uh, we rejoice in our trials and, and we revel in an awesome gospel. Similar to being engaged, we have a status change. Except the change of this status is solid, unfading, and permanent. Therefore, because of your new standing, Peter says, 
verse 12, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, as Christians, not only does our past status change affect our behavior, but also an expectation for the future. Similar to being engaged. Your new status and looking forward to the wedding day. Except, again, you're united to the only one who will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus. And this holiness, this expectation, right, that we're talking about, this expectation for the future begins in our minds. Begins in your brains or wherever your minds originate. Some of you might not have brains to originate. I don't know, it's just a joke. But it begins in your mind. What you think about affects your holiness. That's why he says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. This is battle imagery. The, the, uh, the language here, he's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready for battle. I'm convinced that the most popular place in Springfield is Target. Especially Target on a Saturday. That place is a madhouse. It's basically like holiday shopping every weekend. And you don't go to Target on a Saturday just to stroll through and enjoy the scene. You have to know what you need and where it is in order to get in and get out. There's no leisurely strolling in Target on Saturdays. Living successfully as a Christian means you know you can't just stroll through it. Our hearts and our minds are prone to drifting. Drifting everywhere else but to Jesus and to holiness. This is what Peter gets at in verse 14. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The reason that he needs to warn them of this is because there's such a strong pull to our former passions. And our our former passions include things like drunkenness and sexual immorality as well as things like slander, gossip, and selfishness. We all have this pool to go back to these former passions. And that's the whole reason that we are called to set our hope on Jesus' return, this unveiling that Peter is talking about. We want to be rescued. We have to be saturated in who we are in Christ and who He is for us. Right? This means meditating deeply that we are cleansed and justified completely in His sight without a trace of sin. That's why my, one of my favorite hymns is It Is Well. And the last, um, the last verse says, My sin, not in part, but the whole as nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's who we are in Christ. And who He is for us. He is our advocate. He is our high priest. And He's our bridegroom. And so we have to preach this gospel to ourselves every day. That's what Peter is getting at here. Prepare your minds by fixating them on Jesus. 
Grace empowers holiness. And grace is found not in ourselves, not in what we do, but in the gospel. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter quotes Leviticus here. And it's to show that our lives will begin to look holy so long as we are close to the one who is holy. And it begins by loving him with all of our minds. And that's why our holiness is a holiness of expectation. Setting our minds on Christ and all that he is, all that he's done and all that he has yet to do. So it begins with our minds. Our holiness is also a holiness of fear. Our second source. Peter writes in verse 17, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Fear is an essential component of living as a Christian. Fear. And before we look, we look at like what it looks like to conduct ourselves with fear, let's talk about what fear in the Bible means. Alright? She's a, a continual source of illustrations for me, Willa. And I'll continue to use her until she's tired of it. Uh, but we're trying to teach her how to obey. Right? And part of that is getting onto her and disciplining her when she doesn't listen to us. And the most frustrating thing that she does is smile at us when we're getting onto her. We're in her face. We're saying, you can't do this. And she's smiling at us. Man, I can't put into words how that drives me to the borders of human sanity. To fear God means we don't smile at sin. Or disobedience. It doesn't mean we're afraid of God, afraid of Him. It means we understand the magnitude of sinning against such perfect holiness and loveliness and beauty. And Peter lists two reasons why we conduct ourselves with fear. The first reason is because we're in exile. He says, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. When you understand that our hope cannot be in this world or in the institutions of this world, when you understand that the very best this world can offer is hollow in the end, it changes how you interact with the world. On the one hand, it changes how we view the world's promises. Promises of peace and security and freedom and power. Conducting ourselves with fear means giving a greater weight to how God defines peace and security and freedom and power. And He defines all those things as carrying your cross. But on the other hand, it, it changes how we view ourselves. If we're in exile, it changes how we view ourselves. If we truly believed and grasped that we are literally sojourners, aliens, and exiles, if we truly believe this is not our home, then we do not fear loss 
here and now. Because of exile, our greatest fear is sin, not something that this world threatens to take away from us. So we conduct ourselves with fear because we're in exile. We, we fear different things. We give a greater weight to things that the world does not. But secondly, our holiness is a holiness of fear because of what it took to ransom us. Peter continues in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In other words, holiness will be precious to you to the degree that Christ is precious to you. It was Christ, not you, who rescued you from your sin. If the choice was up to you, you would choose sin every time because we are born loving sin. And not only did He rescue you, but He, the eternal Son of God, who has no beginning and has no end, who possesses all glory and all knowledge and all power, put on flesh only to be murdered to purchase your redemption. I've read in the news recently about this um, website uh, that had uh, allowed pornographic images for a time uh, to ban them and decided to ban these images and believe it or not some of the people most upset uh, at this news was a husband and wife because the wife with the husband's permission would upload images uh, to make money and I'm just reading this article and I just feel sorry for husbands who aren't jealous Spouses who aren't jealous. Lack of a healthy jealousy in marriage is a problem because you're jealous for what's precious to you. And it makes you fear for what threatens to tear your marriage apart. So you fight for your marriage and you fight against uh, external threats. And that's what it means to conduct yourselves with fear. If it's precious, you'll fight for it and fight what threatens it. You'll fight for holiness because more holiness means more Jesus. That's what it means to conduct yourselves with fear in light of our ransom. Holiness of fear. fighting for it because it's precious and fighting against everything that would compromise. Lastly, our holiness is a holiness of submission. Peter writes in the last few verses, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This passage, at its root, is about submission. This, this provides the groundwork for just later, we're about to go into chapter 2 next week, Lord willing, later on in chapter 2, Peter starts writing about submission. So this passage lays the groundwork for it. And, and submission, just like fear and expectation, are essential, is an essential component for the Christian life. But we run into a problem when we start talking about submission. Because each generation and each culture has its cardinal sins. And a cardinal sin in our culture is submitting. Submission. We don't have a category in our culture for giving up our rights and giving up our privileges for the sake of someone else. This is why following Christ is so radical. Human fulfillment isn't found in a career, but in a cross. It isn't found in success, but in servitude. And this passage highlights two postures of submission for the Christian. The first is a submission to the Word. Peter begins by saying, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now that's an interesting phrase. If you just kind of lifted this out and were inclined to heresy, uh, you would say that, that we get our salvation by works. Right? This is clearly teaching that we purify our souls by obedience. But remember, all the way back in chapter 1, we, we started off in chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, Peter already laid out this theme. He wrote, uh, we are called for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his, butt and with his blood. And so when we went through that, we learned that conversion isn't just intellectual consent, but obedience to and submission to the gospel. He means the same thing here. Our obedience to the gospel is the necessary result of ha- been having purified by the gospel. Follow me? So we can say we are purified by obedience to the truth because conversion is obedience to the truth. That's what it is. And it may seem obvious because this is what we're here for and especially if you've been a Christian your whole life but you cannot grow in holiness without regular the regular intake of an obedience to Scripture. You won't drift into holiness. It takes concentrated, devoted, prayerful, glad submission to the Word of God. So my encouragement to you today is read it. Don't feel bad about how long it's been since you've read it. Read it. Search its meaning. Pray over it. Seek to conform your life to it. Get a Bible reading plan. Reading the Bible in a year is one of the most fruitful things you could ever do. Even the parts that are hard to get through. And there are parts. 
Just get into it. Don't wait until you feel like it. Get into the work. So that's the, the first posture of submission. It's a submission to the word. The second posture that we see here is a submission to one another. To fellow Christians. Peter writes, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Again, this is exactly what Peter's going to get into later in chapter 2. What it means to submit to one another now that you're part of the body of Christ and how the body of Christ changes our social institutions. But a submitting, this is why this is important, submitting and serving and building up other Christians is evidence that you're submitting to the Word. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's Jesus in John 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12.10 For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 1 Corinthians 9.19 Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Colossians 3, 12-13. That's what submitting to the Word looks like. Submitting to one another in service, brotherly love, forgiveness, honor, patience. And the only thing that could ever sustain and empower this kind of ongoing, consistent, and sacrificial love is the Word, the Gospel. It makes no sense to do this without the Gospel. The only way we could ever die to ourselves is if we are born of this imperishable seed. And it is this imperishable seed, the gospel, that sustains it. Because if we're born of imperishable seed, guess what? We don't have to fear loss of what's perishable. So our holiness is a holiness of submission. So I want to ask you again, what's beneath the surface of your holiness? What's underneath your good behavior? Is it true holiness or just that, good behavior? True Christian holiness draws from and is sustained by specific sources. Our expectation of rescue. Walking in fear because of who we are and what it took to ransom us and submitting to the Word of God and to fellow Christians. Three sources of holiness. There are plenty of things in this world that empower good behavior and even aspects of holiness. Good parents, good families, good jobs, brothers and sisters and uncles. 
All of those things are, are good for behavior, but we have specific sources for holiness. And all of these things, this, this expectation, this fear to submission we find in Christ. It's because Christ suffered and died on a cross for you that we can be born again. And it's because He lives again that we can look to Him with fervent hope that He will come again. We have this expectation because of Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus was not alive and we had this world and that's it? It's because of Christ that we're not afraid of God. But we have full and free access to Him so that when we do sin, we can confess it freely. And it's because of the vastness of our forgiveness that we walk before Him in holy fear. It's because of Christ's perfect submission that we are free to submit to one another. Christ gave up His God-given rights. His rights as God to rescue your sinful soul. And now we are free to give up our meager human rights to serve one another. But don't miss the point of all this. You don't go home and, and try to grow in holiness on your own. It starts with the recognition that you are very unholy. That you were born with the disposition that is against God. You were born into sin, loving sin, and there's nothing that you can do to change it. There's nothing in you to make you, un make you holy. Even your good works serve to make you more unholy. And you need dramatic rescue. And your only rescue as an unholy sinner is to cry out to the one who is holy. The one you have sinned against. And He has provided the source of your salvation. The source of a life of ongoing holiness. And that source is Christ. So my encouragement, my admonition to you is to run to Christ today. Run to Jesus. Ask to be born again of this imperishable seed. Let's respond to God's Word today. Lord Jesus, only You can cause us to be born again. This is not a leisurely stroll that we take that, that one day we can decide, oh, I want to be born again. It is You who must rescue us. And God, Lord God, You, for those of us in You, You have rescued us. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. You have made us holy as You are holy. And if you, you have given us deep, eternal sources of holiness. So God, let us not grow in good behavior. Let us not grow in our Sunday best, but let us grow in holiness. Blood-bought, Christ-wrought, Christ-driven holiness. And God, don't let us be deceived into thinking that we're holy if we're not, if we haven't trusted in You. Lord Jesus, if, if there is 
someone in here, if there is one of us who is not trusting in You, who is, is unholy because we haven't repented and trusted, oh Lord Jesus, have mercy and rescue. We need You, Lord. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.